the student of the game podcast where we break down the life strategy and advice of successful individuals who are students of their own game and masters of their own craft thanks for tuning in let's get to the episode This episode of The Student of the Game is brought to you by our sponsors, Communication VIP Training and Coaching. Need coaching to improve your public speaking, sales pitches, interviews, or presentation skills, or just get rid of those ums? My man Vincent has got you covered. Contact the communication experts at Communication VIP. This will be in our show notes so you can contact them. And let's get back to the episode. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to the Student of the Game podcast. I'm Tim Stone here with Nick Galbraith and Ian Cushing. Today we've got a very special guest, Mr. Henry Washington. Henry, thank you for being here. Happy to be here, man. Thrilled to be here. Hey, yeah, we're uh, really grateful to have you. And also to a lot of our listeners, Henry was the speaker at the event we threw earlier this year. So you may recognize that voice and that awesome face behind him. That's which is right. also his face. That but, guy, uh, that that guy's cool. I don't know about this one, but that guy right there. Oh yeah, cool, cool. Yeah, guy. I'm a big fan of the guy behind him. So uh, Henry's <laughs> been a big supporter of us so far, and we're a big fan of him. So we're glad to sit down with him. So uh, thanks for being here. Let's uh, jump right into your story a little bit. Let's do it. Yeah, man. So as the story goes, my uh, superhero origin story is. Um, Let's see. I worked for corporate. So I've been investing for four years, just a little over four years now. And I worked corporate America, worked for Walmart. I did IT, um, software development. I did uh, data analytics. I I had a good career. I made good money. I also got really good at spending it all. So, um, and when I was single, that's all fine. Like, (laughs) you know, it's just me. If I have to eat off the dollar menu because I'm out of money until I get paid again, you know, it's just me. That's fine. Uh, but I learned that when you get married, um, your wife doesn't want to do that. So uh, I had to figure something else out. And uh, so I had a wake up call. First wake up call was we tried to buy a house together. And when we tried to buy the house together, the bank came and talked to me and said, hey, we want to do this deal, but you can't be on it. Your credit's too bad. You're going to cause yourself to have a higher interest payment. And we aren't really even comfortable lending to you. And so I couldn't be on our first home loan for our first uh, property as a a couple. And so that was a big blow and made me realize that I just wasn't doing something right. And then the second big blow was having conversations with my wife about our future and kids and dream homes and when you barely make it into the house that you're in and you can't even be on that note, like, and then your wife starts asking about a dream home. It's like, I, we're, we barely got here. Like, this is it. This is, this is the dream home. Right. And so uh, at that point I realized, man, I got to have to make a change because there are things that, that my wife wants that she deserves and that I can't provide and I want to be able to provide. And so that was my wake up call. I had a panic attack three in the morning that morning because I knew I just had to make a shift in what I was doing, how I was living my life, how I was spending my money. And uh, so I did what any normal person would do at three in the morning. And I started Googling, you know, how can I make some extra money? Found all these articles on real estate. I mean, and rental properties and flipping houses. And I've always like been intrigued by real estate, but never thought it was something that I could do. Like I didn't know it was a thing regular people did. I thought only super wealthy people owned a bunch of real estate. And um, and so it just never dawned on me as an option. And then I watched a TED talk and it was this like 20 something year old kid. He had 20 something doors. And he was talking about the, the, the name of the TED talk was how to design your dream life through passive income. And so this kid was talking about being financially free and he had like 25 doors. And I was like, this kid figured it out. Then I got to be able to figure it out. So I just made a decision that I was going to figure out how to be a real estate investor. Mind you, I had bad credit and I didn't have any money, but um, I just figured I was going to figure it out. Right. And uh, that mindset shift is what really kind of started things for me. And so I ended up reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And that was like, 
Like, and so then I started just like saving 10% of everything that I made, preparing myself to kind of have some money to invest with. And so we made this like financial change by going from a, a household that spends to a household that saves first. Um, and then like that just triggered like, a, you know, it's kind of like it, it lit a fire under me because once I started saving 10% on what I made, I made a decent amount of money. And so you start saving 10% and you start seeing that number in your account grow. Like that was powerful to me because I was like, oh, wait a minute. Like, and my lifestyle didn't really change. And I think there's a misconception around people when they start saving in order to do something like investing is they think they have to like, you know, eat ramen noodles and, you know, not buy their Starbucks and have to make all these huge sacrifices in their everyday life in order to start saving. And what people don't realize is you make some adjustments and then you naturally just adjust. You really don't even feel it. And, um, and so I just started to save more money. I started fixing my credit, paying off some things that were causing my credit to be bad. And then about 90 days after I had that wake up call, um, I got my first property under contract and, uh, man, I, I bought that property and then it was, it was just, it was super life-changing from there. So I'll, I'll pause there. And if you guys have questions, we can talk about that. Yeah. So, uh, let's go a little bit further back. What was your upbringing like going into college and then getting that corporate job with Walmart? Like, was there any level of entrepreneurship instilled into you or was it all just get a job, you know, get into debt, buy a house and that's the way things are. Yeah, man, it was. Uh, so I guess the answer to your question is yes, there was entrepreneurship instilled in me, but it was unintentional. Right. I don't even know if unintentional is the word, but it, it wasn't ever a focus. Right. And so my dad was a high school teacher. He taught art in high school for his entire career. And um, my mom worked for the for the county. So she did waste management uh, for the county. She helped figure out waste programs and how to get rid of waste and recycle and all that, right? So they both had career jobs. They were both college educated. And, you know, they come from, you know, a generation where um, their parents had to struggle to get where they are. And so, like, education is what saved them, right? Education is what was able to take, you know, to you know, young black people at the time in, in a place where it was more difficult for them to get jobs and was able to propel them into jobs that were, that made them, you know, a decent income, helped them become middle-class and their parents weren't middle-class. So this was a big deal for them. And so like education was important to them. And so they instilled that in us. Like I knew from a young age, my parents told me it was like, you're going to college or you're going to college. Like that's your options. Right. And so like, I just always knew you go to college, you get a job, Right. And then you work your job, you take care of your family. That was the way to that was the way to, you know, be an adult. Um, but my dad always had a side hustle. As long as I can remember when I was when I was real young, he used to grow plants at home in the garden at home and he would pop them and he would take them to the swap meet. Y'all are young. I probably don't even know what the swap meet is, but he would take them to the swap meet, which is, is just like a kind of like a you know, thrift, thrift market for regular people, you can sell your stuff. Right. And then he would sell potted plants um, to make extra money. And then he had an arcade uh, that he owned at the time. Again, y'all are babies. So y'all probably don't need, there used to be a time where if you wanted to play video games, you had to go to a place with video games. Nobody had them at home. Yeah. Right. And so, and so he owned uh, an arcade and he had these machines in there, pinball machines and video. And he would, uh, you know, it was just like owning like a vending machine business now. It was just video games, right? And they were all in one place. And so yeah. we had that for a while. And then he had, uh, and then he owned a barbecue restaurant when I was growing up for like 10 years of my, I would say for 10 years of my childhood, I grew up, uh, you know, basically I did my homework at the barbecue. Like I grew up in a barbecue restaurant, right? And so he always had a side hustle, but he never talked to me. Like it was never like, hey, this is how you have your own business or this is why I have my own business. And this is something that you can do too. Like that was never a conversation. It was just what he did because he was a teacher. Teachers didn't make great money and he wanted different things. He wanted better things in life. And so he hustled on the side, but never talked to me about having my own side hustle. So yes, it was ingrained in me because when it was time for me to start my own business, when it was time for me to be a real estate investor, I didn't have that roadblock that a lot of people have that like, man, I don't know if I can do this. Like, I was like, I can figure something out because I saw my dad run multiple businesses by himself 
And so I was like, it just it was it was always in me, even though we didn't talk about it. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah, that arcade thing is cool. I've never heard of that. No, I'm just, I'm just yeah. kidding. <laughs> <laughs> to, to touch a little bit on the arcade, when I was down in uh, Boca, um, just as for New Year's, we went into arcade and they had a virtual reality like roller coaster in there. Yeah. And yeah. they also even had like a um, like a zone, like a play zone for virtual reality. Yeah. Um, it was pretty sick. I, I didn't do the play I, zone, but I did the roller coaster. You know, I bet that's going to come back with all this metaverse stuff happening. I bet there's going to be places with like high-end virtual reality stuff where mm -hmm. people, it's going to be real popular. Yeah, the type of stuff that you could just have in your home. They're right. real expensive. I bet like that'll with happen. The, with, the, with the treadmill so you don't run into walls. and Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah it's coming. <laughs> people people are working on it for sure. Right. Some, some real player one stuff. That's and right, man. Yeah. It's crazy times. So, uh, Henry, just kind of dive into that first deal. Um, I mean, you and Jessica are gearing up. Um, mm -hmm. You're you're determined to do this. Kind of walk us through, um, you know, where the deal come from and uh, yep. how did it all kind of play out? Yeah, man. And so when I first when I first had that epiphany and I started researching, um, the other thing that I did was because, like I said, I, I, the key phrase that I said when I had that epiphany was I decided I was going to be a real estate investor. Right. And I think that's the difference between people who are successful and people who aren't is people who are successful have made the decision. This is what I'm going to do. It's going to work or it's going to work. Right. And so that opens their mind up to figure out how to solve problems when problems hit, because you've already told your brain, I'm, I'm going to figure this out. And so your brain automatically starts figuring out how to navigate around problems. And a lot of people, they say, well, I'm going to try this real estate investing thing out. Right. I'm going to give it a go which is cool, but that doesn't have the same effect in your brain because you're just saying what try really means is I'm going to give it a shot. And then when it gets hard, I'm just, I'll probably try something else. Right. And so there's a mindset shift. And so because I decided I was going to be good, um, I started telling people I was an investor, even though I had no money and bad credit. Like when I introduced myself to people, from that point forward, I was, hi, my name is Henry, I'm a real estate investor, and I do software development for Walmart, right? Because I knew I wanted to make this work. And if I didn't believe I was an investor, how was anybody else going to believe it, right? And so I found that deal because I had told people I was a real estate investor, and a buddy of mine uh, had a house he was in a tough situation with, but he had to close on in 30 days. He had to sell it in 30 days, and he had a tenant in it who wasn't the greatest tenant uh, and who wasn't paying rents we was paying the mortgage and that was it and so um he came to me and he said look i gotta sell this thing in 30 days because i gotta have the money to go buy this property that i have to buy that i've made an obligation to buy and he was like if you can if you can buy it in 30 days you can have it for this much so he was going to sell it to me for 115,000, or he sold it to me for 115,000. but it was worth probably about 140 145 at the time and so i was like yeah man i'll buy it i didn't even know how to do it but i told him i would do it Right. And so I told him I would do it. And then I went and I figured it out. So I literally like Googled how to buy a property, found a real estate contract, printed it out, put my information in and his and had him sign this contract. And then we, uh, you know, we sent it off to a title company and then I had to figure out how I was going to pay for it. And so uh, I found some banks that were going to finance it, but they wanted $20,000 down. And I had 1000 And so I was like, cool, I have to find $19,000 in 30 days. All right, well, let's go figure it out, right? And so um, the other thing that I had done was I started surrounding myself with investors from that point forward when I was had that epiphany. Because my I, when you don't know how to do something, right? You know, I hear this all the time when people say, I want to get started investing. I just don't know where to start, right? And I think the easiest solution for learning where to start is just get around people who are doing it. Like just, you don't even have to know what to ask. You don't have to do anything else but just be in the room listening to what they say. And you'll start to learn the lingo. You'll start to learn what to ask. But I was like, if I'm going to learn how to do this, I might as well go hang around people who are doing it. And then I'll just I'll figure out where to go from there. And so I just had this network of investors who I'd been meeting and talking with for the past 90 days. And so when I had that deal in the contract, I was able to go to one of my one of my buddies um, who was one of those investors and said, "Look, I got this deal under contract. I, I, how do I? How do I? How are y'all doing this? <laughs> like, how are y'all closing these deals?" And so um, he basically he gave me my first lesson because what what 
the, the situation was, was once I couldn't figure out how to find the money, I called him and I was like, look, man, can you buy it? Because I told he needs help. Somebody needs to help him. I want to help him. I can't figure it out. I don't know if I can figure it out in time. And he told me, he was like, look, bud, it's a great deal. I'll buy it. He was like, but you just, yeah, like, you got to figure it out. Like, figure it out. And that was like entrepreneurship 101, which is like, you solve the problem, you figure it out, right? It's, it's going to work or it's going to work. And so he brainstormed with me and we landed on this idea of a 401k loan, which I didn't know was a thing. And so we borrowed the money for the down payment from my wife's 401k. We bought the property. We raised the rents on the tenant that was in it. It started cash flowing. And so we were able to cash flow enough to cover all the rent and expenses, the mortgage and expenses, and to pay the line of credit that we had borrowed from the, from the 401k. And so like, you know, to go from, uh, well, then we took that, then we took that property and the bank that I used was like, Hey man, do you want to take a line of credit out on the equity in this? And then you can use that line of credit to go buy more. And so they did that. And then I had access to like $25,000 to go buy more. And like, when you go from, when you go from like panicking about what to do about money to 90 days later, owning a house that's paying you monthly. And then the bank's like, here's another $25,000. Like that is mind blowing. Like that is insane. And I was just like, that's when the, that's when the switch was like, yep, here it goes. This is it. This is what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to blow this up. And so I probably bought 10 houses off that line of credit from that house before I sold it <laughs> a year or so ago. Wow. So you sold your first deal? <laughs> Yeah, I sold it, man. I sold it. Um, I sold it to buy ten units. So I sold. I sold it because I needed the down payment for a ten unit. Uh, that I bought. Well, yeah. that's a good reason to sell it, I'd say. <laughs> and so initially, uh, it was single family homes, and you just said you bought a ten unit. Are you continuing to go more towards the multifamily route, or are you still doing single family? No, I do. I do everything, man. So I I build my business like a wholesaler, right? And so I just focus on marketing for great deals. And I keep the ones I like and I sell the rest. And so if it's a great deal, I'll take a look at it. I'll probably make an offer on it. And if I, you know, if I buy it right now, my strategy has been uh, wholetailing the singles. So closing on them and then sticking them back on the market and then um, keeping the multis. So I've got right now, as we speak, I've got five duplexes under contract and a 10 unit under contract. And so I've got 20 doors and multis under contract that I'll keep. And then I've got three singles under contract that I'll flip. That's awesome. Tell everyone where you're at, where you're investing. Arkansas, Northwest Arkansas. So Benton, Bentonville, Fayetteville, that area. Yeah. So would you say that's a, a top market that's on everybody's radar or, or is it just where you happen to be and you made it a good market? Uh, no, this is a phenomenal market. It is where I happen to be. Like I didn't move here because it's a good market, um, but it's a it's kind of a unicorn of a market because we get we get both right. Most markets are either like appreciation heavy or cash flow heavy, and we're kind of both. So uh, because it's Arkansas, you can you can buy fairly low compared to other areas of the country, but you can get fairly decent rents because of the industry that's here. There's, huge huge corporations that are headquartered in this little nook of arkansas and not a lot of people know that and so people from all over the world move here and they don't want to stay forever and so they rent so you can you can get pretty decent rents but you can still buy at a reasonable price there's not a ton of high-end hotels here there's very very few um and so airbnb it makes it a great airbnb market and then they have this huge huge like camping fishing and mountain biking industry here like it's like the mountain biking capital of the world i know zero about my mountain biking so but they're like holding the national championships here this year or next year or whatever it is and so like people literally come from all over the world to bike the trails here and so you've got all these people coming for all these different reasons you don't have a ton of hotels that aren't that are nice anyway um and so it makes it a great airbnb market it makes it a great uh, cash flow market and then you still get decent entry prices. So and I'll take it. Investing in Fayetteville, do you, do you try to market towards like student housing 
in that city or no? Because I know the University of, of Arkansas is right there. Yeah, yeah. So I have an eight unit right by the university. Um, and it's a great, it's a great location. But I don't market just for that. Like I said, I literally market to my entire region. Like I have my criteria, of course, but I don't like by the university, not by the university. It doesn't matter to me because like this area is condensed. And so like even if you live in Bentonville up north. Like it's a 15 minute drive to Fayetteville. So it, it's just buy good deals, monetize them. That's all I worry about. The reason I asked that question about it being a good market is I was having a conversation the other day with someone and he was asking if it makes sense to buy his first deal out of state or because you, you hear the saying that the best market to buy in is the one that you know. Right. And and I was like, well, it may be worth it to you know look at deals because he's a realtor. And I was like, it may be worth it to look at deals that you're seeing all the time, that you know the area, like you're going to know it's a good deal. But then he's also got a, a friend that's in real estate across the country. And he's like, your first one should just be out of state because you're going to you're going to drive by it every day. You're going to go try to fix everything. Um, it's going to consume a lot of your time. And I don't uh, have that problem. It's going to be more. Of, yeah, it's going to be more of a job than an investment. So what would you recommend like to avoid that for who? A new investor for a new investor who, yeah. um, well, I don't know. Maybe maybe they want to be a full time investor. Maybe they want it to be passive. Um, what mm -hmm. would you see as a good idea? Uh, I think if you want it to be truly passive, landlording's not for you. Mm -hmm. um, it's not. It's not truly passive. I think that's a misnomer that we we kind of the, the industry kind of puts out there. Rental property is not passive, right? There is definitely some activity, even if you don't manage them yourself. Because if you don't manage your properties yourself, your job is to manage your manager. Um, and that can be a job at some times. Um, and so it's not 100% passive. If you want 100% passive, then you need to invest in somebody's REIT or fund that's going out and buying properties. And all you got to do is throw money at it and they give you a return every month. Um, if you want to actually buy the property yourself, be prepared to do something. Um, my two senses, man, I like investing where I'm at. I like being able to see the impact that I have on my community. I like being able to see something that was bad, drive by it and see a family now playing out in the yard or, you know, enjoying this thing that used to be a problem property. Um, I enjoy providing affordable housing for my community. Um, and so that's, that's why I invest where I live. Now, some people that's a problem that may not be as important to them. Um, but my two cents would be like, don't rule out where you are because a lot of people feel like I live in an expensive market, so I can't invest here. But, but there's literally houses all over where you live and someone owns them. Right. So people have figured it out. Right. Which means you can figure it out too. It just means you need to get around the people who are doing the deals to figure out what they're doing and then repeat that process. Right. I was talking to Dr. Joe Asamoah yesterday, um, who's in D.C. I was on his live. Dude's been investing in D.C. for 30 years. Section eight. Section eight. Right. He figured out a way to cash flow in his expensive market, he figured out a way to buy deals and cash flow in his expensive market. Right? And that's just one method of doing it. There's a way that if you are telling me you can't invest in your market because it's expensive, what I'm really hearing is you haven't done enough research to figure out how you can invest in your expensive market. You haven't put in the work yet, right? There's a way you can do it because there's people all over. You're telling me if you live in LA that nobody in LA is investing in real estate. That's crazy. You're telling me that nobody in LA is investing in real estate without having to use a bunch of their own money. No, it's crazy. You just haven't figured out how yet. So if you're not willing to put in the work to figure it out, it doesn't matter where you want to invest. If you're just looking for someplace you can go spend you know, $5,000 and get you a house that's going to that make you some cash flow. Sure. You can probably go figure out what market that is. But if you're not willing to do the work to figure out how to invest in your market, then you're probably not going to do the work to figure out what markets are the best for your money um, and, and do that research there. It's all going to involve research or work. And if you're not willing to do it, then investing is probably not for you anyway. And, you know, that, that just reminds me of what you just said about being local and having that impact on your own market. Um, do you have like a favorite memory or a story from, effect, uh, you know, being in your market and affecting someone's life or something like that? You know, what's funny is most of my favorite stories involve people or situations where I actually didn't buy the house. Um, you know, this is a, this is a people business first. It's a real estate business second. 
right? And uh, if you're not taking care of people, man, then I, you don't belong here, right? Like this is this is you're dealing with people's homes, and when you're buying property under market value, you know you people are selling you their house at a discount for a reason, and that reason is probably some problem that they're dealing with that them selling their house is helping them solve that problem. Sometimes we can solve that problem without buying their house. And I feel like that's an obligation, <clears throat> an obligation that I have. Cause if I'm buying homes in a community and making money on those homes in a community, I feel like I have an obligation to be of service to that community in any way that I can. But yeah, man, some of my favorite stories, let's see. Uh, I went and looked at a house in West Fork and um, they didn't want to sell. Like I got there, they, call, they, they found me online, so they sought me out. They filled out my form and said they wanted to sell their house. I called them, they asked me to come look at it and make them an offer. I went out there and just the tone, their tone was that you could tell they didn't want to move. They didn't want to sell. And so when I looked at the house, I told them, I was like, look y'all, like I can make you an offer. I was like, but it doesn't sound like that's what you want. What do, what do you want? What's the, what's the problem? Right. And they were two months behind on payments, getting ready to be three months behind on payments. And there was foreclosure talk and they didn't know how they were going to get caught up. And they figured the only way that they were going to be able to do something is was to sell it, take as it sat, take the money that they could get and then go try to move somewhere else um, so that they didn't you know, lose their home without without getting anything for it. And. So I asked them to show me their mortgage statements and show me their utility bills. And we paid their mortgage for two months and we paid the utilities for two months so they could stay until they figured out how to, how to make, make ends meet. Cause they didn't want to sell. Right. And a lot of investors would have just made the offer and took the opportunity to buy that property at a discount so they could make money. And I just didn't feel like that was the right thing to do. So we paid their mortgage. I got 0% return on that money and I don't care. I was glad to do it. Right. Um, there was a there was a little little old lady once. I think I told this on bigger podcasts. There was a little old lady who had this like beautiful lawn, <clears throat> but she was sick. She couldn't care for it anymore because the lawnmower, the gas on it was just the the smoke was the carbon monoxide was too much for. Her. And so we bought her an electric mower, and so she could take care of her yard. We didn't buy her house. Um, I met a little old lady this past year who. Um, <clears throat> wanted to sell her house, but she wanted more than I could offer her, um, which was fine. But I did notice that she had literally her washing machine was held together with electrical tape. Right. And, and I, well, you know, I get appliances all the time. I got appliances sitting in properties. Like, so I just called my appliance shop and I said, Hey, can you go out there and grab her old washer and dryer and swap it with one and just bill me for it. And so we swapped her washer and dryer out for something that was a little more sturdy and would take care of her. I didn't buy her property. Um, I don't know, man. I just try to take care of people. That's incredible. That's unheard of, really. I've never heard of anyone doing mm -mm. that. Yeah, man. It's about yeah. people, man. People business. When you say you're taking care of the community, you mean it. That's right, man. That's what we should be doing, taking care of people. The deals will come, man. The deals will come. The money will come. I don't look at every deal as money. Like, I don't walk in the door and think, I got to close this deal so I can make money. I walk in the door and think, how can I help this person? And if I can figure out a way to help them, even if it doesn't mean buying their house, that's cool. You know, maybe they'll refer me to somebody else down the road and I'll buy their house. Maybe they won't. Doesn't really matter. Take care of people, the deals and the money will come. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, Henry, I did want to kind of loop back um, on uh, how you guys bought your first property. I've never heard of it before. A 401k was it, was it leveraging your 401k to buy that property? Can you kind of explain that process? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so what we did was, um, so a lot of people don't know, when you have a 401k with your employer, most people know that if you take the money out of that 401k, you pay huge interest and penalties, and right? And it's, uh, it's not financially beneficial for you to access that money prior to being retired. But what a lot of people don't know is you can borrow against that money and be your own bank. And there's no penalties or fees for that. There is interest. You have to pay the money back in monthly payments with interest, but it's your money. So you get the interest, right? And so you're paying yourself back with interest and your employer will typically 
set it up to where the payments come out of your paycheck pre-tax. And so it's, a, it's another benefit to you because it reduces your taxable income because your payments to that 401k loan come out of your check pre-tax. So it reduces your pre-tax amount that they tax you on. Um, and so there's an added benefit there. So you, you said, don't ever have to work. Go ahead. You said you're paying the interest to yourself? Yeah, it's your money. So your your employer, you basically call your employer and you say, "Hey, I want to borrow," and they'll let you, they'll let you borrow. It's like seventy or eighty percent of, or you can borrow a certain percentage of how much you have in, that you've invested into your four hundred one k, and right. And so um, we said, "Hey, we want to borrow nineteen thousand. They said, "Great, you can borrow nineteen thousand. That means we will take you know two hundred dollars out of each paycheck or one hundred fifty dollars, whatever it was, out of each paycheck pre tax." That includes, you know, 5% interest. And so as you're paying your money back through your pre-tax dollars, you're paying it back to yourself with interest. And so you're making more money on the money that was there anyway. Yeah. Um, and you get it pre-tax because you, so now you're yeah. paying less taxes on the on mm-hmm. your monthly check, but you're and you're paying yourself interest with that pre-tax dollar. So it's kind of a cheat code mm-hmm. people don't know about. And you're getting access to it tax-free because it's a loan. Yep. Yep. Wow, and so, and so, it's a great tool to use. the The caveat, the thing you have to be careful with. Well, the thing you have to be careful with any leverage is you can't go take that money. If you take that money and go blow it, right? You still have to pay <laughs> it back. You still have to pay it back, right? And so you're not getting a return. So you're not maximizing your return on that money. You still get to pay yourself back with interest, pre tax dollars, and it's cheap money because it's your money already. But you can maximize your return by buying a good deal. So now we were getting a return on investment from the thing we used the money to buy, plus we were getting a return on the investment and paying ourselves back with interest and pre-tax dollars. So you, if, you know, don't go blow it. And the and the and the and the you know the bad you know you don't if you go buy a bad deal, right? Then you're stuck with a bad deal that's costing you money, and and you're paying that monthly payment back, right? So you just got to be careful with what you buy. Yeah. I think you can do pretty similar things with life insurance policies as well. You can borrow mm-hmm. against the cash value of your policy. Life and insurance policies, cryptocurrency, you can borrow against things like that that you own at cheap at cheap interest and then you get mm-hmm. the interest. Yeah. And tax free because it's all a loan. That's it, man. Mm-hmm. Cheat codes. Yep. Definitely. Definitely. And uh Henry, I'm kind of diving into uh your strategy, how you're reaching out to the property owners. Would you mind kind of diving into what systems and, and what your team looks like, you know, you and Jessica ruling the, you know, Northwest Arkansas market together. Yeah, man. I do direct mail. Yeah. Um, and so nothing, nothing fancy, man. It's been, it's worked for generations. So I figured it's going to work for me too. Mm-hmm. Um, I market to people in neighborhoods um, that I want to buy in. Um, and, and, and there's no, like, there's, there's no secret sauce to it, man. Like, you just need to pick some criteria that you feel like would in, would include people who have some level of motivation to sell at a discount. And it, it doesn't really matter what that criteria is. I think a lot of people spend a lot of time trying to figure out what's that perfect, like, you know, absentee owners with, you know, you know, it, you can spend forever trying to just pick, pick some criteria, pick it, mail it and never stop. That's the secret sauce. It takes consistency. And that's what that's where people fall off is because mail is expensive, kind of. But they'll do a mailing campaign and they won't send enough mail. So they'll send like, you know, 300 pieces of mail, which is almost nothing. Right. And then um, they didn't like how much it cost and they didn't get a deal from it. And so they don't do it again. Right. Well, then they'll then they'll say, well, mail doesn't work. Um, No, you didn't work. Mail works fine. Right. Like. You have to send at least 2,000 pieces of mail. If you're not going to send 2,000 pieces of mail a month, then don't do it. You're throwing your money away. And you have to do it consistently every month, even if you don't get a deal out of that first month. Even if you spend 1500 to two grand on a marketing campaign for one month and you get zero from it, you have to have the guts to do it again and again and again until it works. And it will work. And one deal will cover your marketing for a year, right, if you get a deal. But you just got to keep going relentlessly and consistently market never ever stop well is, is that is that your goal each month Henry to do 2,000 letters a month no, uh, is that what I do no I do much yeah. more than that but um, 
but I can afford to do much more than that. I think when you're just starting out, um, you should shoot for two thousand, no less. Yeah. And then once you once you get a deal, don't go take that money and blow it. Set aside a good chunk of that money to up your marketing, right? So that you can get more deals. Back to your ten percent quote um, before you started investing. Um, a book came to mind. It was the richest man in Babylon. Yep, we read that it one was too. The, the twenty-seven ten. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Richest man in Babylon and uh, and uh, rich dad poor dad both talk about paying yourself first. Again, it's a it's a mindset thing. It's a mindset thing, and they don't really talk about it being a mindset thing, but that's what it is. If you pay yourself first, and then you pay your bills with what's left, and you don't have enough to pay your bills with what's left, you naturally have to go figure out how to make it work. And it forces you to go figure solutions out. And that's just practicing that mindset muscle for your business, because it's the same thing in business. You're going to hit a problem or a roadblock and it's like, you better figure it out or you're going to go out of business. right? So you got to go figure it out. Um, and so that's what we did, man. We shifted our mindset to we pay ourselves first, no matter what we get paid. You know, it goes into a savings account and then uh, we figure out how to do the rest. So I would. I would, uh, when I was getting started, I, I would go buy things at an auction, like an online auction for pennies on the dollar, like Amazon returns and Wayfair returns. And then I would put, sell them on Facebook Marketplace for just under retail value, right? Just to, to, to get extra money to, you know, figure out how to make things work. Like I'd figure something out and that's, you know, that's what, that's what my brain landed on. That's what came to me. And that's the other thing too, is too many people worry about like how, right? They'll say, I want to start investing and I want to save 10%. But if I save 10%, I've done my budget and I can see that I can't afford to pay this bill, this bill, and this bill. And so how am I going to do this? And they get so focused on worrying about the how that they never start saving the 10% because they haven't figured out how they're going to pay the other bills. And that's not the way it works, right? The way it works is you save the 10%. And then when the problem comes, you let that panic mode kick in. And when you're trying, when you're in panic mode and you got to figure something out, your eyes and brain are so open to opportunities that are already right in front of you that your brain's not open to yet that you just don't see. And so this opportunity to do this stuff, flipping this stuff on from this auction was always in front of me. I knew people were doing it, but until I needed to figure out how to go do something to make extra money, I didn't see that as an opportunity. But when you need money and you hear somebody say, you know, and you're in the grocery store and somebody's like, Oh man, I just flipped that thing for X, Y, and Z. You're like, you parked up like that. What'd you flip? How'd you flip it? Where'd you get it? Right. You start, you start listening and hearing solutions that were always there. You just weren't, your brain wasn't turned on to them. Yeah. And I feel like I've been hearing it more recently, probably because people were afraid to say it before, but they're starting now to say that a lot of people's money problems are not a problem with saving. It's a problem with earning money. Like you, Mm-hmm. Or you don't have a spending problem or a saving problem. You have an income problem. Like you just need to make more money. And like you said, mm-hmm. especially here in America, there are way too many opportunities to make just a little bit more money. Like, yeah. uh, like my personal story, I would buy sneakers at the store that were like 70% off. And then I'd sell it on Facebook marketplace. Exactly. Like you did for a little bit less than they're worth. So that person's getting a good deal. I'm making a profit and you know, it was easy. Or sometimes I even shipped it to people. Like I, bought the shoes, drove to the post office and got paid online. Like yep. there's so many opportunities and um, I don't know. I Maybe peop- a lot of people are afraid to say that because it does sound kind of mean to tell someone you, yeah, don't make, man. you don't make enough money, but really it's like pride too, like people yeah. swallow their pride and go sell something, right. And go, go hustle something. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Right. But I think people are going to fall into one of those two camps. Right. Because they're they're genuinely there are people who don't earn, earn enough money, right? Mm-hmm. And so is either you have an earning problem or you have a spending problem. You just need to identify which one that is, and then figure out how to solve that problem. Like so, if you've got if you've got a job and you can't make your bills work, and you don't spend any money on extra frivolous things, you ain't you, you know you don't got cable, you're not eating out, you're you're stretching every penny you can and you still can't make ends meet. You got an earning problem, right? You need to go figure out how to earn more money. Uh, um, um, so that, you know, you know, is it, is it you ask for a raise? Is it you apply for a different job? Like you're not making enough money. Now, if you aren't paying your bills and 
you got the fresh J's on and you just bought a new car and right. And you're trying to figure out how to make all these new bills uh, payments. Uh, yeah, it's a different problem, right? You got a spending problem, right? And so you need to figure out how to solve that problem. Maybe that's pick up a side hustle, you know, whatever that is, but you're right. You need to identify what that is so you can solve the right problem. Yeah. And there's totally people out there making hundred, 200,000 a year and they're completely broke and they have no idea where their money went. They might, they might not have the, uh, income problem. Uh, that, that's yeah. plenty of money to live in uh, most I places, especially Arkansas. Guy, Arkansas or Tennessee, 200000 goes a long way. But, I was uh, that guy. I was making six figures in Arkansas and still spending all my money before the end, uh, before I got paid again. So mm-hmm. I get it. What would you recommend to someone that is starting to realize they may be in that position? What's uh, the next step? Yeah. Um, man, nobody likes to hear it, right? But you got to do the budget. Right. And I'm not a budget guy. Like, you know, you rarely ever hear me talk about a budget. Like, it's just not naturally something that I like or am good at. Um, so my natural inclination, right? What did I tell you that I Googled? I didn't Google how to stretch the money I had, right? I Googled how to make extra money because I would much rather go make more money so I can spend it on what I want than figure out how to budget what I got, right? Like, that's just me, right? I understand me. Um and so, but but I did do a budget because I had to at least see where my money was going, right? There's some low-hanging fruit there that people don't even realize it. Um, and I'm not saying you got to, you know, you know, eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches um, when you make your budget. That's not what I'm saying. But at least knock out the low-hanging fruit. Like if you do a budget, you're going to find something that you're like, oh, I'm paying for that? I don't even use that. Right. Like, and you can at least cut that stuff out and that'll give you a little, a couple extra dollars that you could throw in your savings account. Like take those small wins, do the budget, at least know where your money's going and then start thinking about things that you're naturally good at um, or that you enjoy doing. Um, You know, think about the things people ask you to do for them and then figure out, can I make money doing that? Right. Either making that something that you do for people for pay. Maybe it's making an online course like I was doing selling that stuff at the auction. I could absolutely put together a course on that and and start putting together some social media posts about it. Somebody's going to come buy that course, how to go flip stuff at an auction, buy it for pennies and sell it for profit. Like people would buy that course. And in this, you've got such an advantage right now because COVID has sped up the online education space. Like people who were worried or scared about spending money for education online had to get real comfortable with it in 2020 because everything was shut down and it was the only way to learn. So universities that weren't great at online education got great at it. People that that wanted to go learn a new skill because they were stuck in the house and needed to figure out a way to make money because they lost their job got comfortable spending money online education and so that sped up the industry and so now there's so many more people that are totally comfortable spending money online that you've got demand for things so if you've got something that you're good at either turn it into a business and start making money on it and then turn it into a course and start making passive money on it it's super like i don't want to say it's super easy but it's not that difficult yo like everybody's good at something and so think about the thing people keep coming to you about what do people ask you to do can you teach somebody else how to do it? If you can teach somebody else how to do it, you can make money teaching somebody else how to do it. Well, I think that's a great transition to talk about one of your other businesses I know you do, which is that online coaching about real estate, yep. teaching people yep. what you do. Uh, how did that come about? What does that look like? Uh, that fell in my lap, man. Um, I never planned on being a teacher or a coach. Um, again, you know, that seed was planted in me. My dad was a teacher his whole career. And so I like naturally have some of those, you know, I never thought it was something I couldn't do and was naturally comfortable teaching. And that's probably because I watched my dad do it for his whole life. Right. Um, but what happened was uh, as I started to, to kind of my social media started to gain popularity and I was on bigger pockets and those, and those sorts of things. Um, uh, people would come to me for help and I like helping people. We've talked about that. Right. And so, um, when I just had, you know, a few hundred followers, if somebody had a question, 
you know, there were so few and far between that it was totally easy for me to just answer questions and talk to people and help them out. And it was totally fine. But when you've got thousands of followers and the number of people asking for help, like I just don't have the time to help everyone like I want to. And so I had to figure out a way to weed out people who, um, I, who weren't going to take the information seriously or value anyway. And so um, my wife kind of came up with the idea because I would do these consultation calls and I would be bummed out after them because I'm like, I keep answering the same questions and then people don't go and do anything with the information. And she was like, well, why don't you just like put that information out there on the questions you keep answering and then let them go through it. And then if they have questions after that, they can come to you. And I was like, well, that's a brilliant idea. And so I did that and I made a course. I didn't know it was a course at the time that I made it, but <laughs> right, it was making a course. And then I put it out there really, really super low ticket. Um, because I didn't want to price people out of the information. I wasn't trying to get rich selling courses. I just wanted people to like, if you want to know, because all everybody asked me was how, was I, how am I finding all my deals and how am I financing all my deals to, to scale so quickly? So I just put a couple courses out there on those things and made them cheap. At that time, they were like 25 bucks, 20 bucks. I was like, go, go through this. Like you can spend 20 bucks and get three hours of information on how I do it or you can spend a hundred dollars and talk to me for 30 minutes at a really high level about it. Right. It's more beneficial for you to just spend the 20 bucks and get the detailed information. And then if people had questions after that, I would answer their questions and that kind of just limited the number of people who would actually go do it. And then the people that did actually go do it wanted to do something and they would do something with the information. And so it was a whole lot more um, beneficial for everyone to kind of go that route. And then like the volume and number of courses that I was selling just kind of went crazy. You know, at twenty twenty five dollars, I was, we were doing ten fifteen thousand dollars a month in sales, and I was like, "This is insane!" I didn't expect any of that. And so, as I was talking to other people in the industry, they were just like, "Yeah, man, this is a business," and so you you see that there's potential. So you either need to treat it like a business or leave it alone, right? And once I saw the potential for treating it like a business, I saw that a there was more earning potential, and b I wasn't doing my customers. Um, I wasn't doing them justice, right? So what I didn't know at the time is if you've got people that are spending 20, 25, 30, 40, 50 bucks with you, there's a percentage of those people who want to spend 100, 200, 300, 500, 1,000. And if you don't have a product for them to buy, they're just going to go spend that money with somebody else, right? But they clearly want to spend it with you because they believe in you and they believe in what you're teaching. And so you not having something for them at the next price point is doing them a disservice because now they got to go somewhere else to try to find it. And they're going to go somewhere else to try to find it. And so people think that when you start selling courses that you're like trying to get over on somebody and get, get their money in your pocket. And that's not the case, right? What you're doing is you're helping people. And there are people that want to spend more for more information and for more convenience because they believe in what you're doing. And if you don't have that product, then you're losing money and they got to go figure out somewhere else to spend it. And so that's when I started to come up with different price points. And so I still have three level courses. I still sell them at that price point. because I don't want to price people out of this information. I don't want somebody who has to go to work with their hands and their back and make 10, 15, $20 an hour, um, working 40, 50, 60 hours a week, right? To come home and only, and they may only bring in $2,000 a month. I don't want them feeling like they got to spend half of that with me to get the information. Right. And so I have those entry level courses. I, you know, you can spend 40 bucks and get your hands on that information, but for people who want to spend more, I'll provide you more information and more convenience and more, right. We'll give you more tools um, that cost me more time and money. Um, because if that's where you want to spend, we want to have a product for you. Right. And then we have coaching and all these other things that, that could potentially cost more, but, make it easier for you to kind of get there. And so I've got something for everybody. Like if you're just getting started and you don't want to spend a bunch of money, I don't want you to feel like you have to do that to get the information. And if you want to spend more for the convenience and for, you know, for my experience, and there's, there's things, there's things for people to want to do that too. So it's just, it's just building a business out and starting to understand that like people want what you have. People want to hear what you have to say. People aren't buying a product, they're buying you. They're buying how you do something because they want to be able to replicate that. And uh, you just kind of got to go get over that imposter syndrome because a lot of people think, man, I, nobody wants to hear this from me, right? Nobody wants to nobody wants to buy my course on how to go flip stuff at 
auctions, but yeah, they do, right? You, there's some, there's an audience out there for you. There's somebody that wants to hear what you have to say. There's millions and millions and millions of people out there. You only need a few hundred, a few thousand to that want to spend money with you for it to make an impact on your life and an impact on theirs. That's that was some great insight, Henry. And um, I I thought um, you know, perspective I haven't looked at you know, how COVID's kind of sped up the last couple of years is the adoption to internet and spending money on the internet. I thought that was um, um, very impactful. I just, I just didn't look at it like that way. Um, but yeah, thank yeah, you man, for sharing that. It's a, yeah. it's a multi-billion dollar industry now, mm-hmm. right? And I think it's only going to improve, right? I think it's only going to get better. I think you're going to start seeing platforms um that are similar to like a netflix or a disney plus but it's all education right Mm -hmm. and so the people who are going to win on those platforms are the people who are producing content right and so make content even if you don't do anything with it just have it you can turn it into a course or a lesson or whatever later like you're out here you guys are out here making content you're making content right now right that you can use and monetize it in different ways you're you're making content for your social media you're making content for your students save all that stuff and you can package it up later mm. you know um but the people who are making content are the people who are going to win uh, because it's the billion multi-billion dollar industry right and so the only way to capitalize on that is to have the content to have something that people want um so just make it like i've got i've got like five podcast episodes recorded I don't even have a podcast, but -hmm. I know that when I get cool people around me, I get them in front of a camera and I ask them questions and I record it because who knows what I'll do with that later. Yeah. And one cool thing. So there's a guy we just interviewed a few weeks ago. His name is Brian Covey and he's had a lot of big entrepreneurs on his podcast. He's um, he just recorded with Brad Lee. He's had uh, uh, David Meltzer, uh, Ryan Serhant, tons of cool people that are, you know, pretty well known in the space. And he had someone transcribe his podcast episodes into a book. And now he's got a physical book he can sell. And it's all these conversations he's had with these high level thought leaders in the industry. And it's just one more way to repurpose the content. Of course, you have social media content you can create. You can make it into YouTube videos, shorter clips, or you can post the whole podcast. There's just Mm -hmm. a million ways you can do it. My, my My book is my course. I took one of my courses, I had it had it transcribed, and I took that transcription and I paid somebody on Fiverr to edit it and make it sound like it was written. And then I paid somebody on Upwork to turn that uh, edited transcription into a book, an ebook, right? And then I paid somebody to take that ebook and print it and ship it into physical books. So I took my course and I wrote a book. I did no work. Mm-hmm. You outsource every part of that. <laughs> yeah. Anybody and then anyone can do this. And that's the thing I'm trying to get people to understand is like, I also have a book, right? And anyone can do this. So like, if you want to write a book or get inclination to write a book, turn your camera on and just start talking. Talk about the thing that you're passionate about that you want to write a book, what you want to write a book about. Just talk, run your mouth, right? Maybe have a little outline in front of you to kind of keep help you keep track of like the steps that you want to go through. And that's what I did. So my last book, I turned on my camera and I was like, I might as well record it. And if I'm going to record it, I might as well go live. So I went live on Instagram and I talked about what are some ways to get started investing in real estate if you have little money. And I made me a little outline on a whiteboard behind me and I just started running my mouth and going down that line. And then I took that Instagram live and I saved it. I didn't save it online. I just saved it on my computer. And then I took that Instagram live and I sent it to a guy. I, I put it on uh, temi.com. Here's some free game, temi.com, right? You can upload your video and it will automatically transcribe it. It's super cheap, C- couple bucks, man. It takes the video, it transcribes it for you on the spot and then provide you a Word document of that video. I took that Word document and I hired somebody on Fiverr to edit it and make it sound like I wrote it. And so they would take all my ums and hums and all that stuff out of there and they made it flow as if I wrote it. 
Then I took and I gave that to my ebook guy and he turned it into an ebook file format. And then you can take that and you can put that on Amazon. He'll give you the format where it can go on Amazon. You can sell it as an ebook on Amazon. You can sell it as a physical book with Amazon. Amazon will print and ship those books for you. Uh, and I've also got a guy who prints and ships books for me. And so I wrote a book and all I had to do was go live on Instagram. And this, I mean, and, and, and start to finish, maybe three, 400 bucks is what it costs. Mm, that's so pretty you, cool. And you want to write so, a book, just turn your camera on. Yeah, I looked a little bit into this. And also, if you upload the video to YouTube, you don't even have to make it public. You can make it private. And YouTube will auto-generate the captions, and you can download that entire yep. file of the auto-generated captions. It might not be 100% accurate, but if it's an hour-long video, it's way easier than typing. Easy peasy, man. Yep. And you can monetize that. You can. So, uh, wow, we talked about <laughs> a lot of things here, and I guess we can uh, wrap it up with our last segment, which is advice. Um, so first question is like, what is some advice you would give to someone maybe in the, how, how should we word this? Cause this isn't a question we typically ask. Like, what advice would you give to maybe 18 to 20 year old that's in college, maybe not in college that, um, is looking to do something similar to what you're doing? 18 to 20. Um, yeah, man, I, I talked a little bit about this kind of when I was in Chattanooga, if you're that young, get your credit right, right? And so um, if it's not already right, you could be in a good position, right? So um, you want to take care of your credit. So if you're if you're young enough to where your parents can add you as co-signers on their credit cards, see if they'll do that only if they are good with credit cards and have good credit. Don't have them do it if they're terrible with credit and have bad credit. But if they have good credit, they can add you as a co-signer. Don't have them give you a card. You don't need a card. You're not doing it so that you can go spend money on a credit card. You're doing it to get the benefits that they get in boosting their credit score by them paying their bills on time. And so leverage your parents to help boost your credit score. Um, and then you do the same. Go take out an inexpensive credit. Do literally Google best credit cards for um, people just starting out, right? And get that information from other credit card hacking gurus don't go get it from credit card companies because they're just going to try to give you the credit card with the highest interest so they can make money on you but there are literally people who just do what i just talked about who make courses and information on hey if you're trying to build your credit as a young young person here's five credit cards you should go have right go find a couple of those credit cards apply for them get them and then put something on them that you're already paying uh recurringly so that you're already used to paying right so if it's a bill uh, or something like just stop paying it with your bank account and start paying it with that credit card and then change your automatic payment to pay the credit card instead of that bill. Right. And so you want to just put it on autopilot. You want to think about it and then take that credit card and go throw it somewhere. Don't keep it in your wallet. Right. Just set up a bill or something that's going to auto pay from the credit card and then set up your bank to auto pay that credit card so that it's just on autopilot building your credit because you want to have a credit score so that you can go and take out an FHA loan and go buy a duplex, right? And live in that duplex and rent one side and live in the other side. Get your buddies to move in with you on your side. So then you get to have roommates because y'all are going to want to move out and your buddies are going to want to go have a get a place. And so instead of going and renting a place from somebody like me, go buy your own place and rent to your buddies. So now your buddies are going to live with you in, one, in your unit. They're going to pay your mortgage for you. And then you rent out the other side. That money's going to cash flow. And then now you're making money to live instead of going and paying somebody like me, who's their landlord, uh, their money every month. And you're cash flowing. And you can do that every year. Every 12 months, you can go buy a new duplex and have your friends move in or somebody else move in. And I would keep house hacking that duplex until you decide you don't want to do it anymore. But you can literally build a portfolio of six doors in three years by buying duplexes on FHA loans with little money down. And you're not going to have mortgage payments anymore because your friends and tenants are going to be paying it for you. Whereas instead of, and then you and all your friends are going to have jobs because they got to pay rent. You might not even have to go get a job. You should, but, but you're, you renting those places out are going to create income for you that you can use to kind of grow and steal your business later. So that's what I would tell a, tell a young person. Awesome. 
Awesome. And uh, Henry, what book have you gifted or recommended the most? Uh, the book I have gifted. Um, this is Rich and Righteous by Julian Gordon. He's a he's an influencer out there. He's a great guy. Yeah. He's um, in New Orleans. We met he's him in New at, Orleans. at uh, BPCon. Yeah, BPCon. Yep. Um, great book about money and mindset. I promise you it'll have you thinking differently about money. Um, and so that's a great book to give. And then uh, The Alchemist is another one that I like. I'm more of a, I'm more of a spiritual feeling. I'm, I'm a feelings guy, right? And like living in your purpose and like following your path and helping others. I much more prefer those books over the how-tos. Don't get me wrong. I love a good how-to book. Um, but I want to read a how-to book on a certain subject that I want to go into detail with. If I'm not like, I can't just pick up how-to books and read them and enjoy them. Like I have to be laser focused on a topic, but I can read a, but I can read a, you know, a, a feeler book anytime. And so The Alchemist is a great book that's about like following your path and living in your purpose. It's a great mindset book yeah. to help you realize that as long as you're following your path and you're doing the thing that you're supposed to be doing and you have the mind, the right mindset that the doors are going to open up and the opportunities will be there. You don't have to have it all figured out. When I started that book, it was like start to finish was like maybe a day and a half. Man, it's a great one, man. It's just, it's it just, it's a, it's a great, it's, it just gets you pumped up to know that like, yes, I am doing what I'm supposed to be doing. So it's going to be good, man. Yeah. yeah. And I, I also got a good book for you, Henry, to check out. Um, I think yep. I told the boys about it. It's called Winning the War in Your Mind by Craig Rochelle. Mm-hmm. Um, he, uh, he really goes into depth. I'll just kind of briefly cover something. These, uh, you know, ways that we grew up thinking, you know, we've always thought in ruts, you know, in our mind, you know, like in a, a muddy road, we drive back and forth over and over again. And sooner or later, we'll be able to let go of the steering wheel. And that's how our thinking is. And one of those ruts might be a lie that we tell ourselves. So a big point in the book is digging a truth trench. And uh, you know has that religious factor in there too as well. So I, I thought you'd like that book, and uh, sure. about halfway through it right now, I will and, definitely uh, check it out. Thank you. Awesome. Well, Henry, where can more, more people find out uh, about you and and follow you and go see what you're up to? Yeah, man. Best place is Instagram. I'm at the Henry Washington on Instagram. If you click the link in my bio, you can get any of my courses for forty dollars. You can also go to henrywashington.com and you can get that free book that we talked about. And, um, yeah, you can apply for my coaching and mentorship on my Instagram link in my bio too. So it's all there. Go check me out. Click some buttons. You'll find some cool stuff. Awesome. Great. And one last question. What is the greatest lesson you've learned in the last 12 months? Whoo. Greatest lesson I've learned in the last 12 months. Um, yeah. Uh, I would say we kind of touched a little bit on it. Um, it's that like uh, imposter syndrome is a real thing and um, you can't let it stop you from pursuing the thing that you feel like was put in your heart to pursue. Right. And so um, when I wrote that course that we talked about, uh, when I first got started, I would write a chapter and then I would get rid of it. I'd delete it. And then I'd write a different chapter and I'd delete it. And I was deleting it because as I was writing it, I would literally think, no one's, no one's going to pay to hear this. No one wants to hear this. No one like this. They can go on YouTube and hear this. Like they don't, no one's going to pay for this. And so I kept deleting it and coming back and writing something else, trying to find like, what's that thing that I think somebody else is going to pay to hear. And I had to like stop and tell myself like, this is just your imposter syndrome telling you that you're not worthy. You're not important. And no one cares about what you have to say. You got to block that out and you just got to write it. And I remember when I started, when I, when I finished the course, I was still kind of feeling like that. And then when I released it, I was like, I did a pre-sale. That's what I did. I did a pre-sale and I was like, and it's funny, like pre-sale is a whole strategy. Like there's a whole strategy around like pre-selling new courses and content that you have in order to generate buzz and, and kind of see. So there's a couple strategies. You either pre-sale 
to see if your idea for a course is a good one. So some people pre-sell a course they haven't even written yet because they just want to see if it's a good idea and should I go make this course, right? Which is a brilliant strategy. I did a pre-sale out of fear, right? I was like, well, I'll just do a pre-sale before I release it. And then if I don't get any buzz, then I just, I just won't release it, right? Like I did a pre-sale out of imposter syndrome and then like pre-sale started to roll in and I'm like, people haven't even seen it yet and they want to buy it, right? And then I released it and it was just sales would keep rolling in. And like you had to get, I had to get out of my own head about me making decisions for other people. I was already deciding for somebody else that they didn't want to hear what I have to say. That's not my job. My job is to put my message out there and the people who are for me will come to it, right? And so uh, the lesson I learned is imposter syndrome is real and you have to get past it. You've got to step out of your own mind and think this is what I'm supposed to be doing and I'm going to do it no matter what because there is somebody that is supposed to benefit for me doing this. It's my responsibility to do it. And you just have to do it. Um, and that we deserve, we deserve the benefits of the work that we put in. I know as a black person, right? Like our whole lives, especially as a black male, society is telling me that I don't deserve things, right? Society is telling me that I'm not worthy of things. And I can tell you that you got to get past that. You 100% deserve everything that's coming to you if you're putting in the work to get it, right? And that goes for anybody. So don't let imposter syndrome stop you from doing the thing that's been put in your heart to pursue. If it's been put there, if you feel it in here and you've always felt it in there, you got to put it out there. You got to go do it. You have a responsibility. It wasn't put there for no reason. This is a great lesson, Henry. I think we all needed to hear that. So thank you very much for sharing it. So insightful. Thank you. Thank you. Powerful. Thank you so much, Henry. I'm yep. happy to be here, man. I love I love chatting with you guys, man. It's been fun. It's been our pleasure. I mean, you've you know coming to UTC. I mean, doing that big event. I mean, that was just so amplifying to uh, so many students. And uh, and uh, you know, we love we love talking with you. We love you, Henry. And we we thank you so much for hopping on today, man. I love love y'all too, man. It was a lot of fun, and I'd come back anytime. You just tell me when. We appreciate it. And thank you to everybody that listened to it. Uh, if you want to speak with Henry, reach out to him, buy his courses, learn from all the knowledge he's gained through experience and uh, put it to work. Don't just buy that course to read through it and do nothing. Put it to work and um, see how it can change your life, how it's changed Henry's lives and has changed a lot of his students' lives. So thank you again, Henry. Thank you to everybody that listened. I'm Tim Stone with Nick Galbraith and Ian Cushing, and we're signing off.